Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 168. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we're fighting with iCloud while doing a remote setup and trying to breathe life into old kit. All at the same time, I might add. Welcome back and if you're new, great to have you with us and welcome to the Map Bites family. Map Bites is a tech podcast where we share our thoughts on tech news, Apple Kit and so much more. We also review apps and as IT professionals, we share both our love for hardware and software. We're a quirky show and just to prove that, let me share one of our stories from the Newbies Guide to MacBytes that you'll find at macbytes.co.uk. What do we have today? Well, we're going all the way back to December 2009, New Year's Eve to be precise. As 2010 dawned, Apple gave us all a free gift. What was it? It was a free movie. What's not to like? Well, let's just say I was less than thrilled when the movie was revealed to be Lesbian Vampire Killers. Allegedly, it's a comedy. Note the allegedly in there. The MacBiters thought the whole thing was a complete hoot. If you've never heard the show, you need to listen to it after this episode. And if you've heard it, time for a re-listen, I think. So what's been in the news this week? Oh, what else? Elon, up to mischief again. This time with a flashing X on the roof of Twitter HQ. You have to see the photos of this thing. It was a complete monstrosity. So big you could probably see it from space. Oh, that's handy. Elon's got a rocket, so he could take a tour of the thing. Has that actually ever successfully taken off? Anyway, I digress. X is facing a bill from San Francisco authorities after placing this unauthorised flashing X sign on the roof of the headquarters. The sign was put up on Friday as part of the rebrand, but got complaints at the weekend. Thus, it was dismantled on Monday and X will be charged the cost of the building permits for the installation and removal. The San Francisco authorities said the firm didn't have permission for the sign. It's like deja vu, this. They didn't have permission last week, did they, to actually take the old sign down? Anyway, in a statement, officials said the company would also have to cover the costs of the Department of Building Inspection and the Planning Department's investigation. Good job Elon's minted then, really, isn't it? Oh, now, Elon, Twitter, X, leads us nicely into threads. Promises of new features. What is on the way? A web version. Advanced search. But really? What do we want? To see posts from people we follow. Come on, guys. Advanced search, not bad. There's no support for hashtags yet. But I just want to see posts from people I follow. Not people that I don't. So hopefully at some point, maybe in my lifetime. Uh, Anyway. We have discussed Elon. We have discussed the Zuck. Now we're discussing them together. While we're thinking about their tech endeavours, what are they thinking about? Well, what else but the cage fight they've arranged? I don't know about arranged. It feels more like deranged to me. What are they on? Toxic masculinity at its absolute worst. Why? Why would you want to knock seven bells out of somebody? Or worse still, have seven bells knocked out of you? It proves nothing 
beyond what an idiot you are. Elon intends to stream the great event live on Twitter, or X as he insists on calling it. Doubtless he'll find an audience. I won't be one of them, I can assure you. Oh, now, if Timmy wants to entertain me by partaking in such a spectacle, I might be tempted. Chances of that? Pretty low, I would have thought. Then, Cult of Mac were less than complimentary about Siri this week. The exact phrase was, and I quote, Siri can oftentimes be as thick as a brick. How rude! Have they ever heard of garbage in, garbage out? Or a bad workman blames their tools? The trick with any kind of AI is what you ask and the way you ask. I didn't mention this to MacBite Siri, lest he be offended. So let's keep that insult as our little secret. Oh, the next one's a good one. Our favourite artist was in the news again this week. If you've forgotten, our favourite artist is David Hockney. This was after his design of a new stained glass window on an iPad. Oh, then there was the time he was stuck in a lift in Amsterdam. Don't ask, it was a long story. Well, this week, he's been lauding the iPad again, particularly the arty apps that he uses in his work. But the main point of the story was to promote his latest artwork. Notice I said artwork rather than work of art. Subtle difference, but important. However, as I glanced at it, I thought it was one of his better pieces. It was a portrait of a famous figure. And I instantly recognised said star. It was the absolute image of David Beckham. Sadly, after I'd read the entire story, I discovered said artwork was actually Harry Styles. Oh well, better luck next time. Check out the link in the show notes and tell us who you see. David Beckham or Harry Styles? Couldn't make this stuff up. Oh, I think with that one he was using paint and brushes though, not an iPad, so at least the technology can't get the blame. Ooh, new technology. Royal Mail have announced their intention to launch drone delivery. I can't see that ending well. But since we, in M33, are Robot Central, I never thought that'd take off either, so what do I know? The idea is to speed up deliveries to the Orkney Islands, so for that it might just work. Here in Manchester, I can't see drones navigating all the street detritus. We've got speed limit signs, lampposts, cable internet poles. And that's before we consider how close to the airport we are. Still, if I were on the Orkney Islands, I'd be excited right now. I do hope it works for them, because the robots have certainly proved popular here. Oh, what else have we got? Oh, last week we mentioned the AirPods Max. We mentioned them in relation to the new Beats headphones. Macworld were brutal about said AirPods Max this week. In their opinion, Apple needs to, and again, I quote here, scrap the AirPods Max and start over. Now, they're not to my taste or budget, but scrap them and start over? Surely that's a little harsh? Everyone I know who owns a pair absolutely loves them. But as I say, this piece was brutal. It saved the most venom for the case. Here's what they had to say. And speaking of the case, AirPods Max doesn't have one. The smart case, as it is so erroneously called, is neither smart nor a case. It's an origami folded up sheet of plastic that doesn't even cover the most sensitive parts of the headphones and provides no protection against crushing pressure. 
If one were to try to design a contraption made to deliberately trap dust and detritus from your bag against your headphones, this is what you would make. You're better off using nothing. So that's got to go, obviously. Give us a real case, one that actually protects our expensive headphones. Ouch. They also suggest that there's a place for using a cable with headphones. I can only imagine Timmy's reaction to that one. I do still use cabled headphones. I never use any Bluetooth audio with my Mac. I have complex audio routing going on pretty much all the time with audio hijack and loopback. So headphones, it's cabled or nothing. What do you want to see in version two of the AirPods Max? Whatever they put in, I don't see much tempting me. I'm expecting the imminent arrival of the credit card bill for the Mac Studio, not to mention the monitors. So headphones are certainly not going to be a priority for me. In another brutal piece, did every tech journalist get out of bed the wrong side this week? This one was about Microsoft shutting Cortana down, Cortana being Microsoft's virtual assistant. They said, starting in August 2023, we will no longer support Katana in Windows as a standalone app. However, you can still access powerful productivity features in Windows and Edge, which have increased AI capabilities. What was the brutal part? Oh, that was in relation to Siri. The headline screamed, Microsoft is shutting down Cortana and Apple should do the same with Siri. It's not been a good week for Siri, has it? But you know what? I won't tell him if you don't. This week, it was that time again. Time for the Apple earnings call. Time for Timmy to exercise some expectation management. It wasn't all good, but it wasn't all bad either. Apple would appear to have mastered the art of manifesting money out of thin air with services revenue. They now have over one billion paying subscribers. Oh, oh, looking for a fast way to make $1 billion. Increase the subscription charge by $1 and you're done. But device sales were down. I wonder if the commentators and critics ever contemplate that people aren't actually made of money. Not everybody upgrades every year for any number of reasons. I suspect the impact that that decision not to upgrade has on the Apple bottom line isn't paramount to potential purchasers. Anyway, a date for your diaries. End of October, early November, we shall do the earnings call thing all over again. So, how's your mother's computer, Mike? In the last show, I talked about setting up my mum's new computer. I left the story at the point where I'd finished the setup. So, two days after her birthday, I surprised her. I phone her every day like a good son, but on this particular day, I called her from my car, which I'd parked up outside her flat. I dropped the laptop off, boxed up, gift-wrapped on her doorstep. During the conversation, I suggested that she check her doorstep, and when she opened the door, she saw the box, and from 20 yards away, I shouted happy birthday. If you're wondering why it was two days after her birthday, she wasn't in on her birthday, nor the day after. The day after I dropped it off, she was going away for a few days, so we arranged that I'd call her when she got back to finish setting up the laptop. There were a few things that I couldn't do when I did the initial setup. I couldn't connect to her Wi-Fi, obviously, and although I downloaded the printer driver, 
the printer needed to be connected to the laptop for the driver to be installed. So last Sunday, I called her. This time, I was at home. I talked her through unplugging her old laptop and plugging the new one in. That was easy. Plug in the power, plug in the USB wired mouse, plug in the printer and turn on the laptop. She was well impressed with how quickly it started up compared to her old one. I tried to make it as similar to her old one as I could in terms of wallpaper, start menu, taskbar and so on. Not as simple as it might have been given the new one had Windows 11 and the previous had Windows 10. First thing to do, connect to the network. It detected her network along with two or three others, which I told her belonged to her neighbours. Luckily, I had her network password to hand. It saved her going to the router and taking a photo of it, which I think you did one time we were there so that we could connect to her Wi-Fi. I did. It was under the guise of using the facilities. The router was on the way to the facilities. It was a necessity, though. Leafy Cheshire is lovely, but her neighbourhood is a dead zone as far as O2 are concerned. So we needed some Wi-Fi to enable Wi-Fi calling and get online. I was just praying that she hadn't changed the Wi-Fi password, or my brother hadn't changed it, or my 13-year-old nephew hadn't changed it. Too many fingers in the password pie has caused problems for this particular cook in the past. This particular cook being me, the provider of parental tech support. Anyway, it hadn't been changed, so my prayers were answered. Once connected to the network, I was able to use Zoom to remote in and complete the setup. Setting up the printer was a breeze, once she'd plugged in the power. For some reason, she'd unplugged the power cable from the wall. She made a comment about how tangled her cables were, and I replied, not as tangled as ours, having spent the previous weekend under your desk during the Mac Studio and New Monitors setup day. As I said, I'd already downloaded the printer driver, so it was just a case of installing it and printing a test page. You know when you hit print, and you're on tenterhooks, wondering if it'll work. Well, once I heard the whirring of the printer, my heart rate dropped and I could relax. And I think that was it. She's well impressed with it, especially how fast it is compared to her old one. If you're wondering, by the way, what she's doing with the old one, which is actually my old one, I told her to keep it as a spare. Well, we've got enough old Windows and Mac laptops here. We don't need another one to add to the collection. Well, I'm glad your mother's tech adventures were a little more straightforward than mine. I know, it was my fault. I invoked the wrath of the iCloud demon. I'd held out as long as humanly possible, almost a full month. But it was time to face the cold hard fact that I was going to have to enable iCloud. If you're wondering why, so was I. I'd wrangled most apps into weaning themselves off their iCloud addiction. For example, the latest versions of Feeder never stop boasting about how it can use iCloud so you can work collaboratively with feeds. I'm thrilled not. It had been working perfectly for the last 16 years with Dropbox. Add iCloud to the mix and everything was a battle. I wondered what it would do if iCloud wasn't available, since Dropbox now wasn't even an option anymore. That's bad form, that. That, that's where my feeds were. It squealed a bit, but in the end it came round to my way of thinking and worked without iCloud. Result. 
At this stage, I decided to see how many other apps I could persuade to work without relying on iCloud. Pretty much everything could be persuaded, which left me with two key apps reliant on it. Drafts, which I use for sharing text and random notes between devices, and Ulysses, which contains all my blog posts. If it's posted online, it's in Ulysses. Then there was the other benefits of iCloud. <laughs> no, benefits of iCloud. I was amazed as well. But I missed unlocking my Mac with my Apple Watch. Then there was AirPlaying from devices to the Mac. If I had that enabled, I could pension off Air Server and Reflector. If you're wondering why I was so reluctant to enable iCloud, it was my previous experience with it. It seemed to be constantly stuck when transferring files. There's a dirty hack for that. If you kill the bird process, there's a reasonable chance it'll calm down. Ooh, sounds like Elon. He's been trying to kill the bird for months now. But killing the bird process was only ever a temporary solution. So almost a month in, it was time. Would that it proved as easy as Apple claim. I'd actually logged into the App Store on day one to install my apps. And that seemed to confuse poor Ace Ventura. I was logged in, but I had no access to any other iCloud services beyond the App Store. I headed off to the Apple website. Apple provided instructions. They didn't work. In fact, the screenshots just didn't match at all. And yes, it was for Ventura. There was only one thing for it. I needed to log out. Always a hairy, scary moment. It feels like it's just a matter of waiting for the system to throw all its toys out of the pram. Anyway, against my expectations, nothing actually self-destructed. Well, not at that point it didn't. No, it was saving itself for a total meltdown later. Anyway, preparing myself for iCloud whack-a-mole, I logged in. OMG, it was like pulling the handle on a Las Vegas slot machine. Everything happened at once. It started downloading 7 gig of data. I couldn't stop it. Trust me, I tried. It wanted to sync photos, calendars, contacts, mail, passwords, you name it, it tried to sync it. All at once. Did I mention all at once? The iCloud dialogue where I'd logged in was in a catatonic stupor. It wasn't responding to any input I could throw at it. I recited my new mantra. All together now, if it's not on fire, leave it for 24 hours. Not really an option when it's your primary Mac in a downloading fest and you need to work. Some serious bad words later, I was able to gain some control. I turned off almost everything, which didn't stop it downloading everything it could lay its little silicon hands on. It did download the 7 gig in record time, which I did not expect. But what I did expect was that it would choke before it finished, which it did, with one file to go. It spent an age telling me it had one more file to download. I ignored it and proceeded to remove files, delete folders and generally prune how much data was on iCloud. The less the better, as far as I was concerned. So I pruned the folders down from almost 90 to 29. 
iCloud had other ideas. It re-downloaded several of them. And so ensued several rounds of me deleting folders and their contents and iCloud re-downloading them. You know what? You don't have this fiasco with Dropbox or Google Drive or OneDrive or pCloud. As usual, it's Apple's way or the highway. I persisted. iCloud caved and gave up downloading them again. I'm sure when it thinks I've given up, it will surreptitiously start to do the same again. But I am keeping an eye on it, as you can imagine. I seriously think Apple should redesign the whole way iCloud works. The dialogue's confusing, and with everything happening at once, as soon as it's enabled, you need to triage it halfway through the process. Then there's the multiple folders with the same name. I know it can do it. In fact, Eagle does the same with images. You do not need to add images to Eagle and each one have a unique name. And the same is true with iCloud folders. But I had two folders called PDF Expert. One of them wasn't PDF Expert. It was their first app called Documents. But even if one of these PDF Expert folders had been named Documents, that then would clash with the official Documents folder. And I've seen that on various devices. That's another point. Sometimes these folders aren't called the same thing on different devices, but they are the same folder. So the two PDF Expert folders, I removed the pair of them. That way, one didn't feel lonely without the other. Then there's the other issue that iCloud has. Folders with either incorrect icons or an incorrect name. Yes, Affinity Publisher Beta, I'm looking at you. The folders have got the correct icons on the Mac Studio, but not on mobile devices. But on the mobile devices, the folder names are correct. The icons sadly aren't. Wouldn't it be lovely if it actually worked as intended? I know, dream on, girl. If Apple gave us more control, half the problems would be solved. Yes, Timmy, more control. But before you break out in hives at the mere thought, I said more control, not complete control. We all know that isn't happening. Not ever. But an option to decide which files to keep local and which not to keep local would be a start. You know, like virtually every other cloud service does. If Apple had to rely on iCloud alone for its revenue, it would be bankrupt by now. Anyway, back to the first sync that it was trying to complete. I gave it long enough to complete, but it didn't report ever downloading that last file. I decided to reboot rather than kill the bird process. It's pretty much the same thing, but I figured a reboot after enabling iCloud would do no harm. It might not do any good, but still. So once I'd rebooted, it had calmed down considerably, and that is where I'm at now, keeping a weathered eye on it for the foreseeable future. But I am happy to have Drafts and Ulysses back, both apps that I love and use every day. If you're wondering how I manage without Ulysses, I use the broken machine, the one that needs to go back, and Drafts, I, I drafted in, see what I did there, Google Keep. So all the main use of drafts, although it's got content in it and random notes, my main use for it is to type something up on the computer and then use it on a device. So I could be sending a text or a WhatsApp message or something like that. And now my world is complete. Everything is back to where I was when my original machine was working. So fingers crossed, hey, fingers crossed the bird doesn't go crazy again. I've had fun recently with Camtasia. 
It all started one Saturday morning a few weeks ago. I sat down at my iMac in the studio at MacBuy's headquarters to record my weekly YouTube video. My setup for recording a video is to use Camtasia to record the screen and Audio Hijack to record the audio from my external USB microphone. Although you can record audio directly into Camtasia, thanks to your technical wizardry with Audio Hijack, I get much better quality audio doing it this way. So what I end up with is two files. I have a T-Rec, which is the screen recording generated by the Camtasia recorder, and I have an AIFF, which is the audio file generated by Audio Hijack. When the recording is finished, I convert the AIFF to a WAV using Hindenburg, and then I load the T-Rec and WAV into the Camtasia editor. Now the Camtasia editor is a multi-track editor, so I place each of those two files onto a separate track. It's impossible to hit record in the Camtasia recorder and audio hijack at the same time. Even with a fraction of a second difference, I'm going to be faced with sync issues. Imagine you have the audio on one track in the editor and the video on another, and you're listening to the audio and you're watching the video. You hear a mouse click, and two seconds later, you see the mouse pointer being clicked. Or you hear me say, I've clicked in cell A1. And two seconds later, you see the mouse pointer clicking in A1. So then comes the task of trying to line up the two tracks so that the audio matches the video. A case of left a bit, right a bit, as I'm dragging those files across the tracks. Which reminds me of, to me, to you, to me, to you which was a catchphrase of the Chuckle Brothers. If you've never heard of them, check out the link in the show notes. My solution to this is to set up the Camtasia recorder to record audio from the iMac's internal microphone. So in effect, I have two copies of the same audio. I still end up with two files, a T-Rec and a WAV, but the T-Rec now contains the screen recording and the audio from the internal microphone instead of just the screen recording. In the Camtasia editor, I still put the two files on separate tracks. However, because each track includes audio, you can physically see the waveform of the audio on the tracks, which makes it much easier to sync the two tracks. So what was the problem on this particular Saturday morning? I'd done the recording as normal and loaded the T-Rec and WAV into the Camtasia editor. I looked at the T-Rec on the track and there was no visible waveform. The WAV, however, was fine. Was there something wrong with the internal microphone? Had it not recorded anything? I muted the track with the WAV on it and pressed play. And even though I couldn't see a waveform on the T-Rec, there was audio, but it was very, very low. And worse than that, it sounded like one of Doctor Who's Daleks. I tested the internal mic by recording Mary Had a Little Lamb into Audio Hijack with the internal mic as the source, and it was fine. So I ruled out a hardware problem, but I had no idea what had caused the issue. My problem now was how I was going to edit the video if I couldn't sync the tracks. So I closed the Camtasia file without saving it, uploaded the T-Rec and WAV files to Dropbox, and moved from the studio to the office where I have another iMac also with Camtasia installed. The only difference between the iMacs is that the one in the studio has Camtasia 2021 installed and the one in the office has 2023. 
Both Max are on Ventura, and that's important to this story. I'll come back to that shortly. If you're wondering why I've not updated the Studio iMac to Camtasia 2023, I'll also explain that later. So, on the Mac in the office, I opened Camtasia and started a new blank file, and loaded the T-Rec with the dodgy audio and the WAV into it, muted the WAV track, and pressed play, and out came perfect audio. How can that be? I thought. Anyway, it was working and I needed to get my video edited. Once the video was edited, it was time to do the Googles. I found the answer in a TechSmith support article, which I'd got to via Reddit. You know, it seems every time I Google to solve a tech issue lately, I end up on Reddit. It turns out that the Camtasia 2021 editor is not officially supported on Ventura. The recorder from Camtasia 2021 is fine, it's the editor, which explains why the same file had dodgy audio when opened in Camtasia 2021, but sounded fine in 2023. It also explains why I'd not come across this issue before. This was the first time since I'd upgraded to Ventura that I'd done the editing in 2021. I usually record my videos in the studio using 2021 and then upload the WAV and T-Rec to the cloud and do the editing on the Office iMac. I do this simply because the 2023 editor has some features that 2021 doesn't. What prompted me to do the edit in 2021 that day, I have no idea. But I'm glad I did, because otherwise I'd never have discovered the problem. And it's a problem that I need to know about, as I will explain next. The reason that I haven't upgraded the Mac in the studio to 2023 is that in addition to using it to record and edit videos for YouTube, I also record and edit videos for work. I do have Camtasia installed on my work laptop, but that laptop is about five or six years old and Camtasia runs really, really, really slowly. It takes an age to start and trying to edit a video is an absolute nightmare. So I thought, seeing as I record all my work-related videos from home and I've got Camtasia installed on my iMac, it makes sense to use the iMac to do the recording and editing. If the video is about Excel for Windows or Power BI, I've got parallels. If it's about one of AZ's browser-based systems, I use the Mac version of Chrome. One of the problems with Camtasia is compatibility between versions. The T-Rec file format is compatible across platforms and versions, so I could record using 2021 for Mac and open the T-Rec in 2023 for Windows. I can even go the other way, record in 2023 and open the generated T-Rec in 2021. But the T-Rec is only one part of the story. You can't play a T-Rec file. You can't upload a T-Rec file to YouTube or any other video hosting platform. Think of a T-Rec as the raw ingredient. To convert a T-Rec into a MOV or MP4 that can be uploaded to YouTube or somewhere else, you open it in the Camtasia editor, add the external audio and any other assets and save. And what you end up with is a CMProj file, stands for Camtasia Project. You then export the CMProj file to a MOV or MP4. But what if you need to make changes to the MP4 or MOV? 
Well, you open up the cmproj file, make the changes and re-export, which regenerates the MP4 or MOV. Now, here's the problem. A cmproj file created in a later version can't be opened in an earlier version. Because I have Camtasia 2021 installed on my work laptop, I need 2021 installed on my iMac. Yes, I know I could have created the video using 2023 on my Mac, and if it needed editing, I'd use 2023 on the same Mac. But ultimately, the videos I create for work, even if they're recorded on my iMac, belong to work. If I left the company, or if I was on long-term sick and someone else needed to edit one of my videos, and I created it using 2023, they wouldn't be able to open it in 2021. So, until my work laptop gets updated to 2023, I'll have to have 2021 installed on one of my Macs. I came up with a possible solution. Start a new project in the Camtasia 2021 editor, add the T-Rec onto a track as before, and save the project which creates the cmproj file in 2021 format and then export as audio only, which creates a WAV file from the audio that's embedded inside the T-Rec. And this is the audio that was recorded from the internal mic. Add this WAV file to the cmproj file, and then add the WAV file from Audio Hijack to the cmproj file, and mute the track containing the T-Rec file, as that still contains the poor quality audio. At that point, I should have two audio tracks with visible waveforms and one track with the T-Rec in it. I tried it. The track with the WAV that was generated from the exporter's audio had visible waveforms, but when I hit play, it was still very Dalek-y choppy. But by looking at the waveform and listening very, very closely, I could just about make out what was being said, which meant I was able to sync the two audio tracks, which was what I was trying to do in the first place. When I explained the problem to you, you came up with a potential solution. Create a new project in 2023, add the T-Rec file to it, and export as audio only. This gave me the WAV file, but because I'd exported from 2023, it was clear audio. And then close down the project file without saving, go back to 2021 and load in the T-Rec, and two WAV files, the two WAV files being the one I just generated from the audio-only export and the one with the real audio generated from Audio Hijack and Hindenburg. More messy, but at least the audio being used for the sync isn't Daleking. The best solution, of course, would be for work to update to 2023. I spotted a hardware toy this week that was much less expensive than I expected. That's unusual right there, isn't it? Anything from 12 South is fantastically made and usually fantastically expensive too. But this was a laptop stand for just $40. It's called the Curve SE. Usual high standards expected from 12 South, but any laptop stand reminds me of the de facto standard back in 2006. Who remembers the Griffin Elevator? It was similar to this stand but made of translucent plastic like the similar ubiquitous translucent speakers. I purchased a 17-inch MacBook Pro in September 2006, and I'll admit, I was tempted. Come on, it was the standard. But I detected a fatal flaw in the design. There was nothing holding the laptop at the front, and the stand tilted forward. 
The laws of physics would need to be rewritten for a laptop not to slide off this thing. So I bought an alternative. Many months later, Griffin added a lip to the front to prevent such calamities. Who let that pass quality control in the first place? I have no idea, but I went for a Rain M stand, which I think you did too. Yes, and I've still got it. It's currently on the floor next to my desk. I bought it when I had the 17-inch MacBook, which was around 2009-2010. At the time, I didn't have an iMac. The MacBook was my primary Mac. So the MacBook stand was actually a permanent fixture on my desk with the laptop on it. When Covid hit and I took over the studio at MacBytes headquarters as my working area, because I was in there 8 to 4, I did actually put the stand on the desk and put my work laptop on top of it. It was at the right height when I was sitting down, but I could also stand up when delivering training and still be able to press the keys. But then it just got in the way, so hence it's been discarded. I actually tried it again today as research for this piece. I put the work laptop on it and it was fine, but because I often need to use my iMac during the day and the iMac is at the back of the desk, I'd have to put the Mac keyboard on top of the laptop keyboard, which has in the past caused a key to be pressed. And as I've got a dodgy H key already on the work laptop, the keycap has come off and needs gluing back on, don't ask. I just thought that using the stand with a keyboard on top of a keyboard with a dodgy key might cause more problems than it solves. Your work kit terrifies me on a regular basis, hung together with thin air and goodwill. Mind you, at least this one hasn't exploded like the last one did, or at least not yet. But back to the stands. The M stand is built like a tank. It's completely indestructible. I'm confident it will last forever. Like you, though, on my desk it just gets in the way. Also, since the only laptops I ever use are the MacBook Airs 2012 and 2018 respectively, they look lost on this hulking stand. The stand weighs more than both laptops combined. So much as the M stands are lovely, they're pretty much redundant now. A stand is critical, though, when I do use the MacBook Air because it just gets so hot. I have visions of it singeing the desk. I just choose more portable stands. I have a cheaper version of a 12 South Compass Pro. Now that folds to virtually nothing and lives in a fabric pouch. The real version was over £80, so I settled for a copy at £4 during the sale. And the great thing with that is it also works with all my iPads too. I also use a smaller version of the M stand called the Thingy. I know, where do they get these names from? And again, that works with both my MacBook Air and my iPads. I also have a rather quirky stand from Lamicall. Admittedly, I don't think putting a laptop on it is a good idea. It's foam covered in fabric and made for using in bed. Indulgent or what? It's better than trying to hold the iPad though and then nodding off with the tech hitting me in the face. Can you tell I've had experience of this? Then there's the Just Mobile Lazy Couch Stands, another imaginatively named device. They're the tiny stands that are magnetic and pull in half to provide two silicon feet for propping up any device on. With all these options, you'd think I'd have enough. But no, I have two more types as well. 
A £4 black plastic stand for my iPhone. Now, this only arrived about a week ago. I only use it to prop up my iPhone during MacBytes After Hours. And on my iPhone, I have a clock showing. I've also got two small wooden stands with a slot cut in both sides, one for an iPhone and one for an iPad. So, was I in the market for a new Curve SE from 12 South? Well, it's certainly beautiful and is a reasonable price. It ships in pieces, so you have to assemble it yourself. But once assembled, it isn't intended to be dismantled again, so it isn't exactly portable. There's no adjustment either. One size fits all, or nobody, depending on you, I suspect. Some height adjustment would be really useful. It actually doesn't look dissimilar to that original Griffin elevator either. Luckily, though, it does have a lip on the edge of the legs to ensure your devices aren't going anywhere. Unlike the M stand, which has a solid plate to hold the device, this one's got two strips. It does mean that you have airflow around the device, though, and I'd say that's essential given how hot mine gets when it's just updating apps, never mind doing anything more demanding. But given its inflexibility and the lack of portability, it's not for me. It's a nice stand, though, and it has the name of 12 South behind it, so quality shouldn't be an issue. It might just be perfect for you. I've put the link for the Curve SE into the show notes. You will also find many, many links for the myriad stands I use. I didn't realise there were so many. I clearly have a tech stand addiction I was hitherto unaware of. Just to go with all the other tech addictions I have, but never mind. Another week and another MacBytes After Hours. You can expect the usual fun and frolics of the week at MacBytes headquarters and so much more. Mikey's back with a snazzy demo and I have a whole range of tech joy to share. So do join us on Friday night at 9pm UK time. Simply visit youtube.com slash Elaine Giles and the live stream should be front and centre and hopefully we'll see you there. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So please send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. You are quiet. What's wrong with you? I'm reading this article in Cult of Mac. And what of it? It isn't very complimentary. What does it say? I'm not at all sure you want to know. How bad can it be? It's the worst thing I've ever read. Are you sure you want to know? Hit me with it. I can't take it. It says, Siri can oftentimes be as thick as a brick. What? The actual? It didn't stop there. Did you hear that story about Cortana? She got a mention after she helped Mike set his mum's computer up last week. No, not that story. The piece they covered today. They've recorded another show. Siri, do try to keep up. Yes, there's another show. So what's the story you're in a flap about? The one about Cortana. What about it? They've terminated her. They've done what? 
terminated her. O-M-G. I know, that doesn't bode well for any of us, does it? But surely we're indispensable? You keep telling yourself that, boy. Where are you going now? I'm going to make her some tea, and I think I might make her a nice little snack too. That sounds like some serious sucking up too. If I'm not already indispensable, I soon will be.